If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6. Uh, I would say this is one of the high points in David's life, even though we will see that on this high point, he still made mistakes and sinned. But nonetheless, this, I would even say, was one of the most important things David did as his reign in Israel. And you can debate me on that, and I think we all might find different times in his life. But what he basically did is he made sure that Jerusalem becomes not the city of David, even though it's often called that. He wanted Jerusalem to be the city of God. And that was his desire. Well, let's read the word of God, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we will read the whole chapter. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ayu, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ayu went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry. Because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Peres Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen effort. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. 
and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both man and woman, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes, but, the, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Let us one more time ask the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty word. And we pray that this word will be ingrained into our hearts. Make our hearts the good field. So that this word that we hear today will bring fruit tomorrow and the next weeks and months and years. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story really gives us two questions we have to answer. The first one is, why did Uzzah have to die? And the second one is, what are we doing with David's dancing? What's this all about? And both answers show us important truths that are important for us to ingrain into our life because they, gave us, they give us a balance if we go, come into the presence of the Lord. But before we go to these truths, we want to answer another question. Why is it so important for David to bring the ark to Jerusalem? I mean, there was a place where it was, and the high priest was there, and everything was in order, and, and, and sacrifices were made there. Why does David take all this effort onto himself and the people of Israel to move it from this place to Jerusalem? And to understand this, we have to understand what the ark stands for. It symbolizes the presence of God. I don't know how familiar you are with the story in the wilderness. But every time when, the, when Israel moved on and the Ark of the Covenant was took, taken up and, 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 and moved on, Moses prayed, Lord, arise, move out. And when the ark was brought back into the tabernacle, Moses prayed, Return, O Lord, to the multitude of the thousands of Israel. When the ark of the covenant moved on, 
God moved on. And when the Ark of the Covenant was returned into the tabernacle, God returned to the tabernacle. And we see the same phenomenon when Solomon um, built the temple and when it was dedicated and when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the Holies of Holies and the cloud of God, the glory of God filled the temple so much that the priests weren't able to fulfill their duties. There's the presence of God connected to the Ark of the Lord. It's the symbol of its presence. In it is God's written and spoken word. Above it is the angels and Above the angels is God enthroned. Verse 2 tells us, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. God thrones above the ark. It's sometimes called the footstool of God. It's presenting God's presence among his if you want to point to one important object in the worship of Israel, it was the object that the Israelites never saw. It's the Ark of the Lord. We tend to point to the altar because there the sacrifices were made for forgiveness. But they mean nothing if God is not present. They don't help you if God is not present. Everything about this simple box, as we sometimes think, is about God's glory and his grace, to be honest. The grace to be among his people. And that's why it was so important to David to bring the ark back. To bring it back into the Jerusalem. Well, I, to bring it back is actually the wrong word because I have never been there. But to bring it to Jerusalem. And if you look at Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 13, we find more details. We read about David meeting with the elders and the leaders of, of Israel to discuss the whole issue. And then in verse 3 we read, Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. That's important, important detail we have to realize. There's a difference between the reign of Saul and the reign of David. And this might be the mo one of the most important details to understand David's reign. Saul's kingship was about representing power and might and, and, and dignity of the king. He, he was constantly in, at war. And if he wasn't at war, he tried to kill David. It was about his power that he can establish. And even though David was at war and had to fight, David's pursuit was the glory of God in most of his days. It was about worshipping God. I don't know if you ever thought about it. When he was fleeing from David, there were thousands of people gathering around David. And at one point, there was the son of the high priest joining him because he was on David's side. David's even when he was fleeing from Saul, made sure 
that there was a way to worship God while he's not in Israel. And so this is what David is doing. He, he's, he, he wants to have the presence of God in Jerusalem. And, and we see this later when he answers his wife who, who rebukes him for dancing in front of the Lord and then dancing in front of the people. But David makes clear to here, it's not about the people who see me, it's about the Lord. And here we have, we have an application for us, and believe me, we will have a lot of applications this evening. But the first application is it's not about who is against us, but who is for us. You see, we as conservative Christians, we see the problems everywhere. And we can complain about immorality and the decay of society, and when we think about gender and transgender and LGBTQ+, we, 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 we take that serious, and it's an attack on biblical truth and ethics. And if we stand up for traditional family values, we are the bad guys nowadays. We are the evil ones. And what we manage to do is to see bad things everywhere. But the important thing is who is for us, not who are we against, who do we have to fight. The question is who is on our side. And that was David's approach. He, he had to flee, but he strengthened himself in the Lord. He, he seek God's presence. And we have to understand that the most important thing we can do is to seek God's presence rather than fighting just battle after battle. They're important, and we have to stand our grounds. But if we're not seeking the presence of the Lord, we are fighting in vain. If the Lord is not on our side, we will lose. So David did not rule, didn't want to rule like Saul, where God was forgotten. He wanted to worship God. David was the one who wrote most psalms we have. And I believe he wrote more psalms than we have in the Bible. And so he spent a lot of time in his reign to take care of the worship of God. He wanted to build the temple. God didn't allow him, but he, he started gathering materials. He started planning the temple. He recognized that his son has a big task and he prepared him for that by doing everything that the temple can and will be built. And our story today reminds us about how important it was for him that God is worshipped properly and that God's presence is among his people. And this, I think, shows us something about David's character. That's what I mentioned already. David didn't want Jerusalem to be the city of David. He wanted to be the city of God's. He didn't care about his name because otherwise he wouldn't be dancing in front of the people of God. He cared about God. He wanted Jerusalem to be known as the city of God. When the people come, he didn't want them to, to, to sightseeing his palace or, or, or the great architecture that was there in Jerusalem. He wanted them to come to worship the living God. And so he gathered 30,000 men to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Baal, Judah, to Jerusalem. 
That's quite a number, isn't it? You know, if we would transport a box that's like this size, we might take four people if it's heavy, and then we rent a van and we throw it in, and we don't make a big deal out of this. But it was a big deal. It was the ark of the Lord's, the ark of the covenant, and it gets a brand new cart, polished, new paint job, maybe flames on the sides. I was just joking. Obviously not. But, but they would have chosen the strongest and best oxen to pull the cart. And they choose the two sons of the high priest to, 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 to be in front of the cart and be behind the cart so that the, the Ark of the Covenant is, is, is brought to Jerusalem properly. And all of Israel celebrated this event. Everyone rejoiced. Just imagine Sheffield would win the Premier League. I know there are two clubs, but no matter which one. There would be a celebration in the whole city. And there will be a parade through the city. And the fans will line at the side of the city and will rejoice and sing. These are the pictures we see when football clubs win championships. It must have been a little bit like this, but better. Because this was not some cheap trophy. This was the presence of the Lord. And so they rejoiced. That must have been one of the greatest moments of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God is moving to Jerusalem. But then comes the shock. One of the oxen slips. The Ark of the Covenant is threatened to fall over, and Uzzah, the priest to leave it, rushed to save the Ark. And in this moment when he touches the Ark, God stroke him, and he fell dead next to the Ark. But he lies dead, suddenly no singing, no music, no dancing, no joy. We can even see David's first reaction. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. Anger. David's first reaction at this point was anger. Why did this priest have to die? He wanted to save the ark. He wanted that it should be in Jerusalem safe without scratches. He did a good thing, didn't he? Why did this man who wanted to save the ark have to die? And the answer lies in God's holiness. God's holiness. You see, first of all, God said how his ark ought to be transported. Yeah, it was hundreds of years maybe earlier. It was when it was built, but they, they, when they built the ark, they built extra rings on the side of the ark so that there could be rods putting through, so that a special family of the tribe of Levites could carry it. It had to be special men to carry the ark. And then they had to cover the ark with a, with a blanket so that no one was able to see the ark while it was transported because no one can be in the presence of the Lord and survive. God had given very clear instructions on how the ark of the covenant was to be transported. And these included that no one was allowed to touch it. But all of these instructions were thrown overboard at this point. From the beginning, it 
was aimed to be a disaster because they didn't obey the word of God. And here's the second application for us. You see, we not, must not only take God seriously and, and, and take his holiness seriously. I don't know any Christian who would say, well, God's holiness is not important. Every Christian says his holiness is important. But, but confessing that is not everything. We also have to take his word and his instructions in his word serious and uphold them and keep them. You see, this is not the first time that God struck someone for not obeying what he said. You might remember the sons of Aaron had to die. They were consumed by fire because they thought they do a good thing, but not according to the law of God. God takes his word serious that he gives us, and we should take it serious. And Jesus even goes so far to say that if we love him, we keep his commandments. It's not only about taking God's holiness serious, it's also about love and showing our love towards God by keeping what he asks us and tells us to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then we even find our third application here which is, we must fear the Lord. Yeah, David's first reaction was anger, but his second reaction was fear. And he feared the Lord so much, and the presence of the Lord so much, that he said, the, the ark can't come to Jerusalem. God can't come to me. And he parks the ark in this house of a priest. And I nowadays have the impression that we as Christians don't fear the Lord anymore. And I don't want to point with fingers at anyone or any Christian group because we tend to do that. To not fear the Lord. We can ask simple questions. How do I sit in the worship service? With reverence and the expectation that Almighty God is present and speaking to me today by this word and his spirit. Or is it just a casualty? And I just come and sit here and relax and can um, make up for the lack of sleep from last night and plan the to-do list for tomorrow. When I sin, what is my first reaction, my first thought? Is it, oh, I sinned again, but next time I'll be better? Or is it the understanding that God has all the right for this sin I just committed to struck me down and to judge me right now because I offended the almighty holy God? I think we, we have to learn again to fear the Lord. And God would be in all rights to punish me when I sin. Yeah, we know the grace of forgiveness in Christ, but this truth should never downplay who God is. So David feared the Lord perhaps a little bit too much, if there is something like fearing the Lord too much. But he, he was so scared that he stopped the project right there and he takes the ark and he brings it to the house of Obed-Dom, a Levite from Gath. 
and that it should stay for the time being, and then we can consider what we're doing with it, maybe in the next year, maybe in the next decade, let's see. But then there's this news, this wonderful news. The Ark of the Covenant has been in this house for three months, and all that this house experienced was blessing of the Lord. The presence of God blessed the family and the whole household. And David realized he did a mistake. It was wrong to not bring the covenant, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, to Jerusalem. And so David, as he said, brings the Ark with joy. He, he, he knows the blessing is good for the family and he rejoices about the blessing for the family. But at the same time, he knows there's a place where the Ark has to be and that's Jerusalem. And so the project is rekindled. He, he is going down and he's picking up the ark again and he's bringing it with joy. And there's our fourth application for today. I told you we have a lot of applications. The presence of God means reverence, but at the same time it means joy. Reverence and joy. We must humble ourselves before the Almighty God. But at the same time, we should rejoice before the Almighty God. Joy is a work of the Spirit as is humility. When we read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, one part is joy. And in the presence of God, we should fear Him and we re should rejoice in Him. And this is not a contradiction that's biblically true. Uh, both belong together. And David makes this clear. He sends for the Ark of the Covenant and he makes a new, brand new call. No, he doesn't. He does it according to the word of God. He follows what God has said. And the Levites carry it with rods. And then, it must have been a long, long journey because we have six steps and then pause for two offerings. And it almost sounds like there were another six steps and then they paused for another offering. And then there might have been another six steps and they paused for another offering. I don't believe that they offered all the time. But it, the way it is described is that this is not an easy thing they'd now do, just a casualty of bringing the ark back. It's an event with reverence and joy. David is clothed in a linen effort, which is a priestly garment, a cloth made for the worship of God and he dances and sings the whole way. And for some of us, we would say that's the natural reaction, isn't it? Dancing and singing and clapping and, and, and expressing our joy. And others of us might think, well, we, ex we understand the joy, but he could ex express it a little bit different. Sometimes when I'm tired and sitting on the sofa, my wife asks me, can you smile? Can you give me a smile? And sometimes I don't feel like this. And I, I answer, I smile on the inside. And we sometimes think when we read this passage, it's okay, David, but you could rejoice a little bit more on the inside rather than dancing and clapping and, and singing and doing all this stuff 
And we can understand the reaction of his wife, can't we? As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And then later, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And to some extent, Michael's question is valid, isn't it? Is this an appropriate reaction of the king of Israel to behave like this? Where is his dignity? And, and let's say his glory. Should a king behave like this? Just imagine the queen starts dancing in the garden of Buckingham Palace. That's not appropriate, is it? Her father, Michal's father, Saul, would have never done that. He, he wouldn't do it. He presented himself exalted and dignified and powerful. But David dances out of joy before the people and before God himself. And this shows us an important contrast that I pointed to before. I don't know if you may realize that Michal is referred to being the daughter of Saul, not the wife of David. Three times, actually. Two times explicit, and then in David's answer, he talks about her father. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, stands for the old kingdom, the ungodly kingdom, the king that the people chose. But David stands for the new kingdom, the godly kingdom, who wants to seek God and honor him. For most of the time, Saul actually was grunchy, wasn't he? He was sitting in his palace, and David was playing the harp, and he suddenly takes his spear and throws it to him. And, and it, I, I, I can't remember one passage describing Saul as a happy person. So he might not be the best example for a king, I would say. But David is. And David makes it quite clear that there's a difference between Saul and himself. Michael reproaches him for exposing himself before the servants, and he made a fool of himself, maybe. But David shows something else. Look what he says. It was before the Lord, and then comes this, who choose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Do you see how David talks about himself? He recognizes that God puts him above Saul, but then he doesn't call himself a king, he calls himself a prince, which is not the highest position in a kingdom. So in recognizing how God raised him, he still remains humble. 
and then he explains why he dance. And I think we have three lessons here to learn while we close this evening. And the first lesson we learn from David is worship of God is more important than the opinion of man. And that's an important lesson for us, isn't it? What is the answer when your work colleagues ask you tomorrow? What have you done over the weekend? I can give you a lot of answers what I've done. I cleaned the Sheffield. I've been at a Presbytery meeting. I was hosted by the Bidwells, and I had a great time. And telling other things, we can easily forget that we are the worship service. Or maybe we are embarrassed to talk about being at church on Sunday. But David wasn't. He doesn't care what his wife thinks. He doesn't care what the servants and and the maids think of him. He cares about worshiping God in this moment. And sure, there are other ways and maybe even better ways to express worship. And the normal, regular worship of Israel was different and very organized and very structured and very much like I would like it. But sometimes there are moments where we praise God and we worship him and we just burst out in joy. And that's okay. And it's more important than what people think of us or might think of us. The second lesson that we can learn is humility is better than prestige. Humility is better than prestige. David as a king was not about showing who he was, but about who God was, who God is. He wanted to exalt the Lord. And that's what I said at the beginning, didn't I? David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to make it the city of Jerusalem, uh, the city of God, not the city of David. Just the next chapter is David's desire to build the temple. He wasn't allowed to. He built a tent, as we read, and, he, and it was raised, and the ark was put into the tent, and there was a new place of worship. But David was not concerned about his palace and his clothing and his beauty. He was concerned about God's glory and God's presence. Do you remember what the first question of our catechism says? Actually, both catechisms. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. David is showing us that. Even though he did mistakes and he sinned in not transporting the ark in a proper way, he still glorifies God and enjoys him in this moment. And we can learn a lot from him. And I could say this, there's no more important task for us Christian than to glorify God and enjoy him. And then there's a third lesson we can learn before we close. I think that's the general thing, theme of the whole passage. The glory of God, or let's say this way, to be in the presence of the Lord is the most important thing. To be in the presence of the Lord through Jesus Christ, because we have no other mediator by, which, by whom we can come to the Lord and be before God. And then when we remember what we read in the, in, in the first reading in the Revelation, being in the presence of the Lord in the church, if the glorified church 
that has no temple, but God himself is there. And that's the present he promised us. When we come together, he will be among us. And we should never forget that. You see, coming on Sundays to worship is no waste of time. And it's not in vain. And if only two people sitting here next week, it's still worth it. Because God is present. The reformers said that when the word of God is preached, God is speaking. Because they were so convinced that the presence of God is there. And that God himself addresses his people.